I have seen thousands of reports over the years of my political career. This is one of the best. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. Welcome to another podcast. That's the voice of Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum talking about his promised new municipal police force in the city of Surrey. He rolled out a highly anticipated report on this this week, Rob Shaw, and he says this is one of the best reports ever. A little Trumpian, I thought, there. This is the best report ever. This is the greatest report ever. <laughs> Don't criticize her. That's fake news. That's yeah. probably... I, I, I find McCallum interesting. I got... I remember him as the as the former mayor of Surrey. Do you and you remember him as well? Does he seem different to you now in this reiteration of McCallum 2.0? Does he seem a little bit more? I see a Trumpian, but a little bit no filter. I I find him intri- intriguing to follow. You know, this has been a really interesting comeback for this guy. You know, at at his age and his what in his seventies, coming back and winning the mayor's chair, which is something that I think had been on his mind for a long time. And I thought he ran a really clever election campaign last year. Uh, hitting a few hot button topics, primarily this one about crime and public safety, and should we get rid of the RCMP and go with the municipal police force as well? And it certainly seemed to work for him. Now, it, it, he did benefit from a vote split there because there was the old Surrey First Party had a lot of problems, lost a lot of people, was a lot of infighting there, and some of their people quit. So he he did kind of get lucky. But I also think that he's hitting on a lot of populist points that maybe people are responding to. Now, this whole idea about a new police force in the city of Surrey, though, there is some division on that. You know, there's a lot of people who kind of like the RCMP and maybe think they should should stick with them. But this report that came out this week, there's a lot of controversy about it because some of the numbers are a little, well, shall we say, kind of fuzzy or maybe don't add up or... Yeah, let's listen to Doug McCallum's first kind of run at the numbers here where he tells us kind of the big picture operating costs for replacing the RCMP with the Surrey, a new Surrey Municipal Police Force. The operating cost for the RCMP would be $173.6 million. And the operating costs of the Surrey-operated Surrey Police Department is $192.5 million. That is a 10.9% um, increase. So those numbers seem okay at first blush. You know, he he had promised what, like a maximum kind of ten percent difference in terms of the price, See, around ten or eleven percent more for the Surrey Police uh, versus the RCMP. The problem quickly became the the number of police officers, and those yeah. numbers turned into a big, gigantic, jumbled mess of dueling well, figures. On the on the budget, on the number. Now he he said consistently, I can get rid of the RCMP and I can bring in a municipal police force, and I can do it for a ten percent budget lift for what we're paying for policing in the city of Surrey. And I think a lot of people interpreted that as well. We're paying one hundred and fifty million dollars this year for policing in Surrey, so a ten percent lift is another fifteen million, which would bring it up to one hundred and sixty. Five million dollars. Okay, so this number is one hundred ninety-two point five million when the new police force goes live, as they say, in twenty twenty-one. Well, that's like a twenty-four percent increase or something by my math. But now he's saying, well, no, it it, it'll only be ten point nine percent more than what we would have paid in twenty twenty-one for the RCMP. So you know. 
he's kind of splitting hairs and fudging numbers a little bit, but whatever. On that one, he's saying, I said it would be 10%. Now I'm saying it's 10.9%. I think, I think he gets a sort of a pass on that part of it, mm-hmm. although it is more expensive than what he said. The other one, the other piece on this thing is the number of cops. And that's really the one where, like you said, is is maybe some problematic for him because I think most people in Surrey figured they would get more police officers because that's what they need in Surrey. They need more cops. They don't have they have statistically fewer cops than, say, next door in Vancouver or Delta. And they've got more crime and they've got a larger physical territory to cover because Surrey is huge. And. Some of these numbers, some critics are saying, well, now you're going to now you're telling us this is going to cost more and we're going to get fewer cops instead of more cops. It depends on who you believe, because their report kind of made it sound like, you know, although the RCMP has 843 officers funded, it has 51 vacancies. So its actual strength is 792 officers. And then the RCMP came back. And so Surrey says, okay, if you go with those numbers on, in our report, you're going to get 16% more frontline officers than you would with the RCMP. Then the RCMP came out and said, no, 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 no. We backfill those positions. So we yeah. actually do have a full complement of 834 officers. And in that case, then Surrey would be paying more money for a municipal force with 4.5% fewer officers than the RCMP. Now... I mean, I've read this report, and I wouldn't call it the greatest report ever written. But <laughs> You disagree with McCallum on that. No, then. what I would say, I think, is that we've seen enough examples over the years of the RCMP um, being underfunded and understaffed in local detachments. You know, even in the capital region, we see it quite often in the West Shore detachment. You hear about it all over the place, where despite being funded for a certain strength, there's a whole bunch of missing people at missing desks, and they aren't backfilled. And I... I know there's a lot of pressure on Surrey because of the the guns and gangs and crime issue. I just don't know if I believe the RCMP that they have totally fulfilled every single vacancy in that shop because I don't think they've proven as an agency over the years that they actually do that. So you end up somewhere between Surrey's number and the RCMP's number, and maybe that also becomes just kind of a wash in terms of the well, officers. Well, I think it also shows some bad blood between McCallum and his council and the RCMP. I think the RCMP are feeling very stung by McCallum and the way that he's handled this. Do you remember there was a public meeting a month or so ago where, out of the blue, McCallum unveiled a local uh, Surrey Police Force police cruiser, mm-hmm. right? He said, oh, here's our new cruiser, and he brought out this this brand new police vehicle that caught the RCMP off guard. And I think they feel like they're being a little bit humiliated that McCallum is kind of sticking it to them. He's never been kind of very close and warm with, with the RCMP. And I think the RCMP are feeling a little hurt by the whole thing. And I've heard that some are, the morale among some of the RCMP and officers in Surrey is, is a little down. But, you know, if this thing goes forward, I think a lot of those current RCMP officers in Surrey will simply transition over and become municipal police officers in, in the city of Surrey. And maybe the thing will work out OK. Like, I, I think in principle, the idea or concept of replacing the RCMP with the local forces is not unreasonable. No. Um, and, and, and in fact, I think there's a lot of good arguments for it, that a city the size of Surrey uh, should have its own police force and not contracting to a national police service, which is largely kind of designed for uh, policing rural parts of Canada. So I think McCallum's on maybe the right track, 
but some of the numbers are a little fuzzy. He's certainly spinning some stuff. I thought his 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 communications effort on this on it this week was not really great. And it now throws the whole thing back in the court of the provincial government of whether they're going to approve it. You got any read on that or what the BC government's going to do here? Solicitor General Mike Farnworth is saying he's going to take his sweet time on this. And I think it's worth pointing out that the internal policing division of the RC of uh, of the BC government has often been populated by RCMP members and the current um, director of police services. So the head kind of policing official in the BC government is Brenda Butterworth Carr, who used to be the commanding officer of uh, the E division here in British Columbia. So you have to go through the Mounties, not only in Surrey, but you have to go through them again in the BC government. So the advice that Mike Farnworth is going to be getting is going to come from a lens, I think of, of deep familiarity with the RCMP. Uh, And if he wants to, I'm sure that he can find enough problems in this report, enough vagaries, enough unanswered questions to scuttle the whole thing. But you've raised already raised the issue, which is McCallum's touched on something here. He's touched on a kind of, um, you know, public desire to have their own control of their own policing. And the Surrey uh, RCMP is uh, 28 times larger than the average RCMP municipal, you know, municipal area. And it's not really unreasonable to imagine a scenario where a city that size has its own police board, its own direction on what it wants policing to be, and its own set of priorities, rather than begging the RCMP, E-Division, and the National Division to kind of please do some things in your formula for us. So I think that it could go either way, but, um, you know, there's a lot of outs for Solicitor General Mike Farnworth if he wants to kill this thing. And it's going to be a political calculation on his part to be how offside does he think he would be with the population of Surrey and the voters he wants in Surrey for the next election to deny Surrey this police force? Or is he just going to get so scared of the idea of that and just say, I don't understand where this is coming from, but... He's the mayor, and we're going to have to approve this, and off you go. He's been cautious, of course, about what he's going to do, and as has Premier John Horgan. But if you kind of read between the lines a little bit, they don't seem overly enthusiastic or excited no. about this. In fact, they seem to be a little dubious and have thrown some cold water on it a, a little bit, which makes you think like, wow, maybe they would not approve it. And if they were to turn around and say, I'm sorry, but this plan is unacceptable, we're not going to approve it, they might point to something like these numbers that we were talking about and the number of cops. And you could see Farnworth turn around and say, I'm going to I'm going to take the RCMP's uh, numbers here on the strength of the current deployment of, of cops in Surrey, and I'm not going to approve a plan in which they go backwards, and we're going to have fewer cops in a city that needs more cops, not less. So, you know, there are some, like you said, there's some outs for him to potentially say no to this, but I think you put your key, uh, your finger on something really important, and that's the politics of this thing. If, if he turns around and says, no, you can't have your local police force to a city that just elected uh, a new municipal council by an overwhelming majority... McCallum's got every seat on there except for one, although he just lost one guy who's sitting as an independent, but he's got a big majority on that council. Can this provincial government still turn around and say, no, you can't have your police force now? And would the liberals, and if they did do that, would the liberals potentially jump on it and say, you know, shame on John Horgan, vote vote out Horgan if, if you want to get your own police force in the city of Surrey? Maybe Wilkinson turns around and tries to champion it. I One thing that surprises me we're not talking about in this discussion is the issue of amalgamation and regional policing. When you have a a municipality as large as Surrey 
changing their policing structure, and no one's talking about whether the Lower Mainland would be better served with one unified police force. So now we're going to have the Vancouver Police, you're going to have Richmond RCMP, Burnaby RCMP, uh, City of Surrey Municipal Police, Municipal Delta Police, yeah. and kind of on and on. And we used to talk about the the benefits of regional policing as something to, to be studied, and it was kind of believed that municipalities didn't want to give up what they had and to change. Well, now that there is change in the air... And no one's talking about it. So other questions, other outs for Mike Farmworth in this will be, to what extent is Surrey going to participate in the regional units, the integrated homicide team, um, put money on top of all of this into all the integrated units and and participate in what the government likes to call kind of the cooperation of all the police departments, you know, forensic labs and canine units and all this sort of stuff. And if Surrey can't show that, that's another huge out for, for Mike Farmworth. I am amazed that... That he has not, he doesn't like, Farmworth doesn't like that question. I've asked him several times, why are we not talking about regional policing? Because, <laughs> you know, the liberals used to get blamed for ignoring the benefits of regional policing. And now the NDP are ignoring doing it the too. Same thing. Because you don't want to tick off local residents who like things the way they are. That's right. They like their local police department. Yeah. And so I'm amazed that the lower mainland could have the land shape, landscape shift like this without that conversation. Well, but it does give another out to Farmworth if he wants it. You take a look at a, a city like Delta, for example, which has got their own municipal police force. And I always remember the, the, the chief there saying that they had a policy that uh, no call is too small. And if they get a call from a resident, they will respond to that call, including quite famously many years ago, uh, someone called the local detachment and complained about the, the frogs were croaking too loudly in a swamp behind his house. And the police went out and... Uh, responded to that and Did they shoot some frogs well, or the chief said they, they uncovered some of the crime when they were out there so it actually <laughs> turned out to be a net positive so this this shows you you know the strength of no no call is too small but i think if you were to talk to people in delta they would say they like their own local police force and don't you dare mess with it and i think that's why the ndp don't want to go anywhere near it i mean you got a, an mla out there ravi kalon in north delta who won stole that seat from the liberals last time by very narrow margin they really want to hang on to that seat. Do you think they want to go in there and start monkeying around with cops that are popular in that community? I don't think so. So, you know, we've seen efforts in the past to try and get this going because it makes a lot of sense. Guys like Cash Heed, um, Wally Opal was a big supporter of it. They didn't get anywhere with it because the politics of it are just uh, are just like it's a third rail you don't want to touch. And it's too bad because it makes more sense, I think, to amalgamate, really, doesn't it? I think so, but uh, yeah, I mean, like that—that that example you give just proves the point that there's so many political considerations on so many levels that yeah. um, it's going to be tough for the province to navigate through this. They don't really understand what's going on in Syria. I don't think they don't. The NDP is happy that they won more seats yeah. in that battleground riding. They desperately want to keep people happy there. That's why they've tread so lightly on ride hailing yeah. and protected the existing taxi industry. That's why their transit strategy is kind of, you know, always evolving towards affordability in Surrey. But they don't understand where this sudden SkyTrain uh, initiative came from, from Doug McCallum, the push to get rid of yeah, LRT into yeah. SkyTrain. And they don't, the, you hear a, a lot sharper tone from John Horgan uh, against Doug McCallum on the SkyTrain issue. Yeah. You hear him say, uh, you know, Doug McCallum wants to just change this by himself. That's not good enough. You, yeah. you, you do hear him attack, counterattack on SkyTrain, but you don't hear it on policing. And so I'm not sure I understand the NDP's tone on Doug McCallum or Syria. I don't think they Maybe understand. Maybe they don't, they don't understand I don't themselves. think they understand either. So yeah. 
uh, we're all up in the wind on this one. I don't know where it's going to land, but it's a, it's a fascinating file. You want to talk about Daryl Pluckus? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to talk about Daryl Pluckus anymore. No more speaker stuff. My God, this is this is never going to end, Smitty. I don't understand. Uh... Well, at the end of the last session, which just wrapped up, it ended with a bang with the speaker uh, once again getting everybody up in arms around the place. This time, copying the hard drives of some key official computer hard drives of some key officials in in the building, and and everyone went bananas over this one. Let's have a listen here now. Here's Plekus. We are talking the absurd here. It is simply a case of saying we need to make sure that we have data secure. We have ongoing investigations. We do not want an instance where we have data not available to investigators. It's that simple. But it's not, I have a concern people. about my own data. I want people to have access to that. I want pe- people to be assured that their data is secure as well. It is just that simple. But there is nothing else going on. What do you make of this? What he said? The absurd. Yeah, you know. Um, well, I had the dubious distinction. Of, you broke uh, this. Standing, uh, Von Palmer and I decided to do our best potted plant impersonations. He was more of a ficus and i was a fern and we stood in the legislature hallway we literally just stood there wednesday night uh after the the session kind of ended the mlas went home and we just I, mean, I wish i could say we did some great investigative reporting we just stood there watched what was happening asked some people walked by hey what's happening um it wasn't it wasn't brain surgery but we saw some very interesting things and one of them was this big blow-up meeting between the speaker his chief of staff, Alan Mullen, and the acting clerk of the legislature, Kate Ryan Lloyd. And she came out of this meeting, this very heated, emotional meeting, in tears, distraught. Walks down the hallway from Plekis' office in front of us. She's crying. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. She turns around. She ends up in a meeting with Mike Farmworth, the government house leader, the premier's chief of staff, Jeff Meggs, and the head of the civil service, Don Wright, who just happened to be in another meeting room. Suddenly, she's in there talking to them. And Vaughn and I are standing there going, oh, boy, something's going on. Yeah. The speaker wanders out. Yeah. Vaughn says, what's going on? Why is Kate in tears? And he gives us the, that kind of like uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the dull look where he just says, well, I don't know. I guess you'd have to ask Kate. As if, he, if, as if like 10 minutes earlier she hadn't just left his office in tears. Uh, and then so we just kind of pieced it together that evening and discovered that um, Mullen and Plekis wanted to clone hard drives in this yeah. building of the, the top officials. So there's the clerk and the sergeant at arms, the two acting officials. And it was, quote, voluntary, although I didn't get the impression from watching what happened that night that there was much, uh, much voluntary about it. I mean, I guess it's voluntary if you ask someone to submit and consent multiple times until they break down in tears and give you consent. Okay, that's voluntary. But so anyways, we watched Mullen um, go in and out of this room with this uh, IT expert that he brought in. And uh, Vaughn tried to get some answers from Alan Mullen. I know he was on your uh, one of your radio shows this week saying uh, yeah. that he was really upset that Andrew Wilkinson, the leader of the opposition, uh, didn't just stop and ask him, say, hey, hey, Alan, what's going on here? What's happening here? Instead, he started taking pictures. Well, I can tell you right now. Alan Mullen got a lot of questions in the hall from Vaughn Palmer of the variety of, hey, Alan, what's going on here? And the answer was to just blow past him at the speed of sound and not tell him anything. So wow. that one doesn't that one doesn't square very much of a circle there. But anyways, we, we, we made it through the night, wrote a story. The next morning, everything exploded. Yeah. And the question is, what does the speaker want this stuff for? Eight months in 
to an yeah. investigation. He's talking about safeguarding data for investigations. We're eight months in to an RCMP investigation. What, what suddenly prompted? He says that the reason he wanted to copy these hard drives was to preserve potential evidence for these investigations that are still going on because there's still multiple investigations happening. And he said that that's what he wanted to do. He wasn't he didn't want to look at any specific emails or any specific documents on these computers. He simply wanted to make sure they had an independent copy of them and that it was put away in a secure location so they had them just in case they needed them. And for what though? For these other investigations. He said, well there's an RCMP investigation going on. Yeah, but there's it's a... been going on for 8 months. I know. And that's and after then... the one year undercover investigation that that plug is. So we're 18 months into investigation. And now they want to copy these things. I know it's weird, but they also had um there's a forensic audit going on by the Auditor General and there's this so-called workplace review happening. And so there's these multiple investigations and so they wanted to do this but it, but it's all very weird. Like on Wednesday night when you saw these dramatics happening in the hallway and Wilkinson the liberal leader snapping photos on his iPhone of these guys carrying computer equipment down the hall is just bizarre. Wilkinson's chief of staff actually slept in his office that night <laughs> just in case the speaker decided to come and try and copy their hard drives, their computer hard drives. Now, how weird a, is that? That's a little ridiculous, too. That's weird. I, I asked the guy, his name is Spencer Spruill. I said, so what'd you do all night? You stayed awake all night? He said, yeah. And I, what'd you do to stay awake? He said he watched a couple of movies just to kind of stay awake in case Plekis came snooping around <laughs> to copy his computer. And I was like, how paranoid and weird and bizarre is this place getting? So it's really what strange. Was it? it was weird because then, yeah. then they had a caucus meeting. The liberals had a caucus meeting at a hotel nearby. Uh, the next day because they they worried there was recording devices in their office, which is a weird thing because I, I don't know if anyone who's ever been to the legislature will see these um, old sergeant at arms guys walking around with big mirrors on the end of poles. They check for recording devices every day. I mean, I, I don't understand why there'd suddenly be recording devices, but I think the liberals... They're par- paranoid. They, they, hate, they hate Plekis. They, they don't hate, know what he's going to do. They hate Plekis, and they don't understand what Plekis is doing now, and I don't think a lot of us really understand what this is about. The only thing I could tie it to when I was thinking about this is the acting sergeant at arms, Randy Ennis, had announced that he was retiring, effective the Friday, so two days the after. Of, the end of the session. End of the session. So these hard drive seizures, I'm going to call them seizures because the speaker doesn't like that. He, these hard drive clonings yeah. uh, occurred uh, two days before the acting sergeant at arms um, was leaving office. Now, remember the acting sergeant at arms, Randy Ennis, he's in the, that spot because the current sergeant at arms, Gary Lenz, was accused by Plekis of a bunch of misspending. And that is before the RCMP. But Justice McLaughlin of the former Supreme Court Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada came in, cleared Gary Lentz. He's still suspended with pay, so Randy Ennis is his replacement. Well, Randy Ennis was accused of some things by Plekis, including in the Plekis report, this bizarre um, scheme that Plekis believed was being created to allow a, a member of the Sergeant Arms staff who had a terminal illness to take a desk job and effectively commit suicide on the job so that he could retain his benefits for his family. It was this bizarre suicide pact in the Plekis report. Oh and um, Randy Ennis was apparently part of this. Uh, well, that was also uh, dismissed by Justice McLaughlin, said it was a bizarre interpretation of very explainable facts that Plekis got wrong. So that gentleman... Uh, who is uh, has this terminal illness, also retired on Friday. Yes. So the two subjects of that part of this crazy suicide pact that didn't actually happen suddenly leave. 
And as they're leaving, the speaker goes in and clones their hard drives. Now, I can be the greatest coincidence in the history of the world. I don't, I don't really know, but that's the only kind of thing that was happening at that time. Um, I'm not sure what it's being used for. Plekis says he's not currently investigating, but there are future investigations. The Auditor General would not want Daryl Plekis wandering the hall taking hard drives for her. She does her own investigation. The independent workplace review that the uh, MLAs have authorized is done by a third party specifically to avoid this type of situation and the liability that accrues. So the only reason to gather this information is for Plekis. And the question is, what has he got planned here? What future investigation has he, has he got cooked it's up? Very, it's very weird, I think, that also that he bring in an outside private sector IT expert to clone or copy these hard drives of two crucial uh, officials in the building, the clerk and the acting sergeant at arms, who, by the way, is responsible for things like anti-terrorism security in the building, like some really high-level, high-classification stuff. And here you have a private sector IT company from Surrey uh, being brought in here to, to copy this stuff, and then they take away the copy? And I asked Mullen, well, where is this stuff now? And he said, well, it's in secure storage at this company's facility in Langley. I just think it's strange. Like, And, the, and the, cl- the clerk's computer, the, the, the clerk is the CEO of the, the house, right? So all yeah. the MLA details are going to be on there. Pay, benefits, did they ever access counseling yeah, or sensitive, or sensitive information. information, their yeah. family financial situation, uh, all sorts of things is now at the disposal of the speaker to, to go through all the files for the MLAs, which has caused a lot of MLAs here concern that suddenly the speaker has this. It shows he has power though, right? Well, like he can do this stuff. He did it. I don't know. if. Well, yeah, that's the question is, can he do it? He's just doing it. He did it. it. I know some people have said on online, you know, well, it's not that bad because, you know, like your employer can go take your computer in your office and do it anytime. Yeah. Uh, check your files. Just one point to keep in mind there. Plekis is not the employer of the clerk and the sergeant at arms. They are employed by the house. They're special independent positions. They are hired and fired by a vote in the legislature. They are officers of the legislature. Excuse me. And um, the speaker is not their boss. Doesn't hire them. Doesn't fire them. They don't report to him. So I know there's that kind of initial reaction of like, well, um, you know, my boss can come and take my computer at any moment and, and scan the hard drive because it's it's I work for them. But they don't work for Plekis. So that's just a little nuance to keep in mind. As if it wasn't bizarre, bizarre enough, Smitty, we end up having Mary Polak, the, NDP, the uh, liberal house leader, release her notes from a meeting, a three-hour meeting she says she was in with Daryl Plekis, in which he's banging the desk and shouting about lies and talking about all sorts of things. And she gives the 16-page notes out to the media. Here's what she had to say about that uh, that meeting. It was very erratic. Uh, it was almost like a stream-of-consciousness kind of speech and very aggressive. So an erratic stream-of-consciousness, if you were to believe what's in the notes... There were a couple sentences in these notes about how the speaker allegedly called Beverly McLaughlin stupid and pathetic and on and on and on. It certainly added fuel to the fire that day. I don't know what you made of the release of that notes and what was in them and what was the point of the liberals doing that. And Well, Pleck is seized on this, saying that it was inappropriate to, or at least Alan Mullen, his chief of staff, told me that he thought it was inappropriate to release these um, these notes from a private meeting. And interestingly, the Green Party, who still support Plekis, as does the NDP, also questioned, questioned that. 
But uh, then Wilkinson, the liberal leader, told me she's willing to swear an oath and be cross-examined under oath about <laughs> how accurate these these notes are. So, uh, man, it, you know, it just shows you how crazy the, this whole story is. And I think it's going to die down a little bit now. Of course, it could all erupt again well, tomorrow. But um, what I guess what I'm looking t- toward now is what's what are these investigations? When are these investigations going to wrap up? Like, are we going to ever hear from the RCMP about what they find out? We don't know when they're going to report out. I briefly talked to the special prosecutor, uh, David Butcher, on the phone the other day. Oh, yeah. I said to him, you know, it's a little bit of a mess over here, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's the uh, a Vancouver lawyer who's been hired to kind of keep the politics out of this RCMP investigation. He said, essentially, um, yeah, the mess isn't my problem. I'm dealing with waiting for the RCMP. Okay. Um, so we're stuck in this holding pattern. It could take a long time before we get any resolution to that. And in the meantime... It should cool down because the house isn't here yeah, anymore. That's right. But that's, yeah. it, we ended on this bizarre note where the liberals tried to suggest Plekis be replaced, yeah. which didn't go anywhere. And then at the very last moment, they all stood up one by one in the house and accused the speaker of contempt and said yeah. they were disavowing themselves from him. And then they marched out of the house. It was a spectacularly bizarre ending to a very emotional session. Pretty and wild. It was uh, it was kind of one of those things. So. Some I suspect other, we'll talk about it again. Some other issues that are still on our plate here. Yeah. Uh, gas prices. We've been talking about this for a while. Uh, interesting story. I talked to the chair and CEO of the Utilities Commission who's doing this investigation into gas prices, David Morton, and he confirmed to me that, A, as we were talking about last week on the podcast, taxes. The, the government has effectively found a way to prevent the commission from looking at whether taxes, government taxes, carbon taxes, fuel taxes are part of the high price of gas. High gas, highest gas taxes in North America. Yeah, off the table. He also said they're not going to be looking at whether the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, the sec, the twinning of it, could lead to more gas to BC, which the Premier has suggested, the Prime Minister has suggested, because that's too far in the future. So that's off the table. Uh, and so the, we're basically kind of wondering what this report is actually going to tell us uh, at this point. Here is the Liberal take on this. This is Peter Millibar, one of the Liberal critics, talking about what he thinks is left for the Commission to look at here. Well, it seems like a, a total waste of time. Uh, it seems like it's a total backward-looking exercise. Um, you know, the government certainly doesn't want their their policies reviewed. They don't want uh, the future uh, low-carbon standard under Clean BC reviewed and what that would mean to the prices at the pump. Um, they don't want uh, any other government policy to be looked at. They don't want government current taxation or future taxation looked at. And, and they don't want uh, potential supply uh, issues uh, around the Kinder Morgan or the Trans Mountain Pipeline uh, twinning uh, be looked at either. So I'm not quite sure what the Premier is hoping out of this uh, this whole exercise. Um, it was a year ago the Premier promised he was looking at options to bring relief at the pumps, and he can't offer up one option uh, at this point. So I'm not sure what he was even talking about a year ago. Waste of time, according to the Liberals. What do no, you the think? Li- the Liberals like this gas tax uh, issue for them politically, they think that they can score some political points against Horgan and the NDP because the price of gas is so high. They've put up billboards around the lower mainland saying if, if you're sick and tired of paying high gas prices, blame this guy. And there's the traditional scowling photo of uh, Premier John Horgan. So they kind of like this and maybe not surprising that they're throwing cold water on this uh, this this so-called inquiry that Horgan's ordered into gas prices is a waste of time. And I don't know, I tend to agree with the Liberals. I think I think this thing has been set up a little bit to... Uh, insulate Horgan from any kind of criticism by exempting this this inquiry will not look at gas taxes uh, as an as a driver of gas prices. So I think that's 
obviously just trying to shield himself from criticism. And another thing that jumped out at me in, in your story in this this week was whether or not this inquiry will take a look at the impact of the expanded, potentially expanded Trans Mountain Pipeline. Because when they set up this inquiry, I remember I talked to an official in the premier's office who said, oh, no, that's that's not off off limits from this inquiry. They can examine this pipeline project. They can take a look at whether twinning this pipeline would actually lead to cheaper gas prices. Oh, no, they can talk about that. And I thought, why would the NDP want to see that put on the table? They oppose this project. Why would they want to cast it in a positive light, potentially, if it could lead to cheaper gas prices? And then, lo and behold, in your story, it you know you got the commissioner saying, well, you know, we probably won't look at that, which to me is just another example of how this 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 so-called inquiry is not the comprehensive look at this as Horgan described it. And another thing Horgan has been saying repeatedly is this is price gouging, price gouging by the uh, the companies, right? Yeah. And I asked the commission chair, well, are you going to look at price gouging? He says, we're not using that phrase in oh. our report. We're simply going to lay out the margins, lay out uh, the other things, and then the public can decide if it's price gouging. So you don't have All taxes, right. you don't have pipelines, you don't have price gouging. You don't really have the things we're talking about when it comes to gas on the table. When is this thing happening? At the end of August. Okay, and it'll be in public. It'll be public. Which is interesting. There'll be testimony from the oil companies okay. in public, I guess. So well, maybe we'll, we'll get an understanding of how this whole thing works. I, yeah. don't, I don't really know. but yeah. um, Want to finish up with your fairy story? It was a really good scoop you had there. <laughs> the old northern sea wolf. She doesn't howl. She doesn't howl at all. <laughs> this is a really interesting story. And, and uh, you know, go ahead and take a look at it at the Vancouver Sun website if you want to have a read. Basically about this uh, ferry that went into service this week on the direct run from Port Hardy to uh, Bella Coola. This is a Greek-purchased ferry that uh, BC Ferries picked up uh, for cheap, brought over to Victoria, ripped open the walls and went, oh, my sweet mercy, look at th- what's what has happened to this ship. It's turned out to be a big, fat Greek lemon, as I said in the, uh, in the story. It has uh, become a money pit, and instead of costing $55 million, this thing ended up floating a couple years later in at $76 million. Whoa. It was a year late, 35% over budget and uh the some of the issues that were were a problem here there wasn't any insulation the propellers didn't work the elevator wasn't in code the sprinklers weren't connected the uh, air conditioning and heating didn't work and the metal had been corroded in certain parts to below the minimum thickness for steel which is, seems to be a problem when your ship is made out of steel um so <laughs> those were some big issues that caused this thing to go over budget um now it's in the water everyone's really happy because you remember the history of this Smitty, 2013, the Liberals canceled this route yes, because BC Ferries was losing money. And the tourism yeah. operators in the Caribou, Chilcotin, coastal region, they went, ah. Oh, they were furious. What's good? We're losing all this money on yeah. tourism. Yeah. And the slow, tortured return of that um, vessel came just before the 2017 election. The Liberals said, let's bring it back because I think they wanted some votes. And they set this deadline of uh, 2018 – which was going to be when they wanted the, the vessel back in the water. And BC Ferries wasn't consulted on the deadline. And they said, okay, well, the only way we can do that is buy a used ship. And they went out looking for used ships that would fit the specification of rough ocean waters and 35 cars roughly in size. And they only found three or four. And they end up on this Greek one and they bring it back. They got it inspected. And now they're going to try and go after the inspectors because the inspectors didn't pick up some of the problems. And it's just, it, like, it's a nightmare from the beginning 
through to the renovation, through to the end, through to the political pressures that were at uh, at play here, the liberals bungled uh, cancellation of this route, the timelines they put on it to bring it back. There's a lot of it's a messy mm. little story of a tiny little ferry that most people will probably never be on, but uh, but it cost us a lot of money. Good name though, the Northern Sea Wolf. I love that. It is that's, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty cool name. I actually rode that ferry, not the Northern Sea Wolf, but the one that was on that route before, because I once did a, a vacation because it, it goes from like, the northern tip of Vancouver Island yep. up to where Bella Coola, right? Yeah, and. It's a spectacular uh, journey up there, and I remember on a little vacation we I did that, and it was a pretty cool cool experience. But I always remember talking to Jerry Fernie, who was the mayor of Port McNeil up there in the northern end of Vancouver Island, who passed away a little while ago. And uh, he said, to me, I said to him, I go, hey, I took that ferry up to Bella Coola. I go, it was really awesome. And he said, really, you think so? Because it's so boring. All you see are trees, trees and islands. That's all you see. And I go, well, that's the point, isn't it? And he goes, yeah, but it's so boring. They all look the same. It's <laughs> and, a long trip, too. <laughs> oh, it was like 22 hours or something. Like, yeah, yeah, it was a long trip. So you would have been on, what, the Queen of Chilliwack then? I guess so. And the great, yeah. the Queen of Chilliwack, when the liberals canceled this route, they sold the Queen of Chilliwack. And right. it had just undergone a $15 million retrofit. And they sold it for $2 million to a former employee who's running a private ferry service in Fiji. Yeah, so the, right. The Fiji, oh, that was what a weird story. The Fijians got a great deal on our Queen of Chilliwack, <laughs> that's for sure. So who dealt this mess then? I mean, who's who's to blame for this now? Is it the liberals who uh, sold off the original boat and it had to be replaced, so they take the blame? Or is it the NDP because this thing went over budget on their watch? Or do they are they both to blame? I think, well, I think it's the liberals because canceling this route, bringing it back, setting a timeline that BC Ferries couldn't meet, if they'd given BC Ferries a little bit more breathing room, he could have built the ferry here. It would have cost more than the 70-some-odd million. Probably would have cost twice as much. But instead, you know, there was this political direction, get it out, get it done. We need it back in service. And ferries tried, and they, and those pressures kind of added up. The NDP didn't really have too much to do with this. I don't think the, the ship had already sailed across the Panama Canal and all the way over here. We were stuck with the lemon. I guess they could have, you know, got involved and dictated to BC Ferries to cut the losses on this thing, but... There's too much money put into it by that point. So Okay, you sold me. I blame the liberals. <laughs> well, you know, and then I guess to be fair to the liberals, um, it wasn't that long ago BC Ferries was a mess. Remember, it was just yeah. – it was swimming in red ink. The fares were going through the roof. They had to cancel the seniors' pass. They oh, were yeah. thinking about yeah. putting slot machines on the boats. You know, like it, it, Ferries is in a lot better shape now. But at the time, the liberals were canceling it because it was their version of ICBC. It was hemorrhaging money. And they were trying to right the ship, and this is how they did it. Another one of their brilliant populist moves before the last election, cutting seniors' bus uh, ferry passes. Yeah, Way to go. Disabled bus passes and really, seniors' ferry passes. Really smart. Um, it'll be uh, interesting to watch that play out, Smitty, and we'll be back next week with some uh, some more political news, uh, analysis of what's going on, even though the legislature isn't in session. There's still lots happening. You know, oh, yeah. It's, it never the, ends. The summertime in uh, BC politics is just as interesting as the rest of the year. So uh, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow Mike Smith and I on the tweeters. We're both uh, in the sun in the province. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next week.